Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Andrea Schwartz here again, asking today's question, why does God allow abnormalities in people? Now, what sparked this question is an article I came across from the mainstream media that Iceland is on pace to virtually eliminate Down syndrome, a genetic disorder also known as trisomy 21. Now, are they doing this through some sort of medical breakthrough that prevents this disorder from occurring? No, they are doing it through abortion. Between 1995 and 2011, nearly 100% of unborn babies who tested positive for Down syndrome were aborted in Iceland. In 2015, France had a 77% abortion rate, 90% in the United Kingdom, and in the U.S., the statistics are anywhere from 67% as high as 90%, but it's difficult to determine that exact number because the U.S. government does not keep detailed statistics about abortion. And in Denmark in 2014, the government reported 98% of unborn babies who tested positive for Down syndrome were aborted. Now, there is a test that a woman can take early on in pregnancy to determine all sorts of abnormalities of her unborn child. So what is behind my initial question is really a theological one. Does God make mistakes or are so-called anomalies and abnormalities really man playing God? I'm joined today by a mom, Brittany Dugan, who is going to give us some insight into what it's like to birth and raise a child with Down syndrome. Thanks for taking the time speaking with me today, Brittany. You're very welcome. Okay, so let's start off with you just kind of giving the history, your family life, how you were raised, you know, the number of children you have, and let us kind of hear your story and how the birth of your son Josiah came to be such a significant part of your life. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. It's really um, an exciting topic for me to talk about. I love any opportunity to do so. It's, it really is a life-changing experience to have a child with any special needs, I think. I was raised in a Christian family, one of five children, which is considered a big family to a lot of people. And I, I knew I wanted to have children of my own. Um, when people used to ask me as a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Being a mom was always top of the list. So the Lord has blessed us with four children of our own from ages 12 on down to three years old. Um, and I'm a homeschool mom as well. My kids are a huge joy for me. I actually worked with children with special needs before I had children of my own. It's always been a joy and a passion and a delight for me to um, work with these little ones. And the Lord knew the plans he had for us. And that was to bless us with our son, Josiah, uh, in 2011. So he, his birth was unexpected. We had chosen with all of our children to forego any of the prenatal testing that was offered. 
And um, well, let me stop you for a second. Yeah. Why did you? I mean, I did the same thing, but maybe yeah. some people might think, why would you do that? Well, I guess that the for us it was never a choice whether we would, you know, have children, have our children or not, regardless of diagnosis. So um, a diagnosis prenatally for us wasn't it wasn't necessary. I guess we we trusted the Lord to give us who we needed. You know, we we had the ultrasounds and whatnot to determine some. They can sometimes find anomalies. I guess I would say in the ultrasounds, but it's not typically how they diagnose Down syndrome. But, you know, they can check for heart conditions, um, spina bifida, things like that, that maybe you could treat prior to birth. But for us, yeah, it just, it wasn't a, uh, a choice whether we were going to have whatever God gave us. So it didn't seem necessary to, to worry about the what ifs. I have had family members and close friends who have um, gone through the testing and gotten false positives, which made pregnancy really stressful and a lot of worrying and taking a bit of the joy out of the experience of pregnancy um, unnecessarily. So, right. So before you go on, because I think there's some people who are familiar with what a Down syndrome child might look like, or even an adult, why don't you explain, since I'm sure like most moms with children with special needs, you become an expert in whatever your children are faced with. (laughs) Explain what Down syndrome actually is. Well, um, a person with Down syndrome has a third copy of the 21st chromosome. So that's where you hear um, the, the term, like you, you mentioned earlier, trisomy 21. It's a third copy of the 21st chromosome. So most of us just have two copies of every chromosome. And there really isn't any known reason for this. It, it seems to happen randomly. Uh, there are three different types of Down syndrome as well. There is a type, the one type that is very rare and it does have a genetic component at your, you or your spouse has to be a carrier of the genetic mutation. It's very rare. And uh, trisomy 21 is the most typical, most common form of Down syndrome. Okay. And as far as you know, you and your husband were not of that first kind. Correct. They can, uh, genetic work can be done. Blood work can be done to determine whether or not you uh, have that. And uh, he seems to have just the typical Trisomy 21. Yeah. Okay. So you said it was a surprise. In other words, when you went to deliver, you were not expecting anything one way or the other because you hadn't had the tests. So what was the first indication or when was the first indication that Josiah had Downs? Well, he was my first um, uh, traditional birth, I guess you could say. My first son was born um, via C-section and so we, we were delivering Josiah at a different hospital, which in hindsight was absolutely um, uh, a God thing, God's blessing to be where we were because this hospital had um, an excellent NICU and all that we would need for his birth and care after birth. So he was born about five weeks early. That was the first sign of anything unusual. The pregnancy had been fine and wonderful and normal, but he was a little bit early. So at his birth, they had made sure to have some extra nurses and the NICU staff present in the room so that we had quite an audience when he was born. And everything about the birth was normal. It was fine. But he, you know, as soon as they take the baby after you're born, they check for APGAR scores and, and check breathing, especially when they're um, early. And he just didn't seem to be responding to a lot of the tests. He was breathing and everything um, about that was normal, but he just didn't seem to re- be responding to the newborn tests they do for reflexes and 
responses and things like that. So they said, well, he's early. Um, we want to, you know, take him upstairs and check him out. There's a possibility of infection and, and different things that can cause, you know, unusual APGAR responses. So uh, it didn't seem real unusual even then to me because I knew he was early and I knew there was a possibility he'd need to visit the NICU and he did. So, so it's not um, like he looked different. In other words, you'd already yeah. had a child. So this right. looked like a newborn baby. Yes. To me, he just looked perfect. And I didn't get to hold him a real long time. You know, they took him pretty quickly. But, um, you know, there's that euphoric moment of just having had a baby and you're just in bliss, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was just, yeah, I just thought he was wonderful and beautiful. And um, no, I didn't think anything of it. It was you know, farthest thing from my mind. My husband was the first one, you know, up to the NICU because I was being stitched up and taken care of myself. So when he came back down after having visited him, he said, well, they, they do think there's maybe an infection or something, um, something's going on with him, but they're going to run some tests. And, you know, when you're ready, you can be wheeled up there and, and spend some time with him too. So by the time I got up there, we, you know, he's in his little incubator and tied up to a lot of wires and things like that. And the doctor came in, the NICU doctor came in and he, he, yeah, he, he broke it to us pretty quickly. What he suspected was going on. He, he had a very thick accent and I think I was maybe a little bit foggy still from the birth and whatnot. So I, I remember thinking, I'm not sure if I'm really understanding what he's saying <laughs> because I'm looking at, you know, my perfect looking little child and um, he, so he started off by asking if the pregnancy was normal, had I had any complications and, you know, the answers were all no. And then he started showing us some markers on his body, shorter, upper portions of his arms, a flattened nose area, the way his um, hips were positioned out rather than um, having that newborn reflex, surprise reflex. He was just kind of floppy. Mm -hmm. and all the, he had a little bit of a spread in the, between his um, first and second toes too. That's another um, common indicator. So there were, there were features that he noticed. And I remember thinking like, I don't see any of that. What are you talking about? <laughs> he must be talking to the people next to us. Am I really hearing what I think he's hearing and, or what I think I'm hearing? And he said, I suspect all these things might be an indication that he has Down syndrome. And yeah, it's definitely a, a punch in the gut kind of, thing to hear when you're not expecting it, you know, and, um, well, just to interrupt, especially after giving birth, God gives moms this hit of, um, a hormone that makes us sort of forget all the pain and all that we just went through. And so <laughs> you must've experienced going from a real high to somewhat of a low. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're just on cloud nine after you've had a baby. And I was especially so because I was so delighted that I was able to have him without a C-section, which was my biggest concern going into it, that we would maybe end up with a repeat C-section. So I was really on cloud nine and praising God for all this delivery. And yeah, it was, I just remember thinking, he can't be talking to us. I'm sure there's a mistake. I think everything is fine. <laughs> you, they'll run the tests and they'll come back. And I'm sure that they'll be wrong, you know, so you're thinking all these things at once, but you know, your mom instinct also is just wanting to fix the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. right. So you said you had worked with special needs children before through your training. I imagine something to do with the higher education you got. Were you familiar with Down syndrome and 
what it's like for a family that has a Down syndrome child? Yes, to to a certain extent. I had absolutely worked with children with Down syndrome and I I was a music therapist, uh, am a music therapist, and worked with young children. And I, <laughs> I always used to tell people that the little kiddos with Down syndrome were my favorite to work with. They're just a delight. And their families were special. They just, they loved their children. There was just, there was something really special about these children. And it was, it was absolutely a pleasure to work with them and their families. So would you talk about that a little bit? I've heard people who have children with Down syndrome saying they really aren't less, they're more. They have that extra chromosome, and it seems to be pretty uniform that these are children with a high capacity for love and affection and kindness. Is that part of what made you like working with Down syndrome people? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, I mean, they... To be fair, they have, you know, the full range of emotions. <laughs> they, they can be ornery and difficult and stubborn and mean, just like the rest of us. You know, this you, you mean they can be sinners <laughs> just like the rest of us? They're sinners <laughs> yes, too? Yes, yes. That's in nature is absolutely. <laughs> but um, they also have this amazing capacity for unconditional love. They're certainly not judgmental. They're not concerned about your appearance or any of those superficial things, they just, they know how to enjoy life to the fullest. (laughs) Right. Okay. So let's go back to the timeline here. So he gets tested. I imagine there's a point at which you stop saying they're talking to someone else. They actually are now talking to us. Tell us what that was like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't recall exactly how many days. I want to say the better part of a week or more, maybe 10 days to get the final blood test to confirm it. Um, and during that time, he had he spent in the NICU. My husband and I both started recognizing that those typical almond eyes and that, that the typical facial features started showing up a little more obviously, um, you know, as the swelling from birth and everything went down. We were both starting to say, okay, I think we can see it. Mm-hmm. I think we can see it a little bit, but at that point we were just, you know, deeply in love with him. And we just, we mostly just wanted him to be home at that point, you know, and just to get our family back to get our family back to normal. So at this so, yeah. point, he's number two. How did you explain, or did you try to explain to your first? Well, he, we, we did. And thinking back now, nine years, I don't know exactly how we approached that. He, you know, my, my firstborn was just three years old at the time. So there wasn't much uh, detail we could go into that would make a lot of sense, but he knew his brother was a little bit sick and that's why he was in the hospital and we, you know, weren't able to bring him home right away. But I don't think we really went into a whole lot of detail about Down syndrome itself until he got older and could understand. Um, It's, you know, we're always obviously very open about it in our home and we do a lot of advocacy for Down syndrome. We attend a lot of events and conferences. And so, um, you know, over time as we did these things, it was, it's always been a conversation and he, he would ask questions about things as he got older and it's, you know, never been anything difficult to talk about. And having him as um, the older brother was just a huge blessing to us because, he, you know, children, they don't see things like adults see. They don't think of the worst case scenario or the what ifs or the, the future that might concern adults. Um, and he just, 
loved his little brother. He just mm-hmm. loved his little brother. He was proud of his little brother. And when he did start understanding um, what Down syndrome was and that his brother had it, he used to say things like, boy, we're so lucky. Not everybody gets to have somebody with Down syndrome and we do. <laughs> and so he just, his perspective was always just such a joy for us to to hear, you know, what he thought about all that. And it's right. not always easy to have a sibling with Down syndrome for sure, but there are so many rich, rich blessings that have come with it for every member of our family. So explain a little bit what sort of issues, because one of the reasons that couples are often pressured into considering abortion as an option when they get a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome is how much it's going to cost and what a drain it is on family resources. Explain if that's actually a real point of concern, or do you think it's an overblown point of concern? Well, I think it couldn't be further from the truth. I can only speak to what it's like, you know, in the California system Um, and California with all its flaws is actually a very easy place to raise a child with special needs. Um, Josiah had um, in-home therapy services from the time he was about six weeks old and we never had to pay for those. Those were provided through the county regional center until he was three years old. And then after three years old, it transfers over to the, the school district. And they then provide all of those therapies, speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, everything that your child might need to thrive and be successful was offered to us. And he's been doing wonderfully. And it, none of it has been out of pocket for us for any of that. Okay, so two things there. So speech therapy, occupational therapy, is this because there are some delays as opposed to a child without Downs in terms of speech or being able to develop gross or fine motor skills? Yeah, those are pretty common um, delays in development uh, for people with Down syndrome. The speech delay is probably the most common. Um, There's different issues going on in terms of low muscle tone in the mouth and small mouths, larger tongues, things like that, that make articulation difficult. And, um, and some things sometimes um, going on in the brain too, about, uh, you know, connecting speech with what they're thinking. A lot of times they are cognitively very aware, but they just can't articulate it. So sign language is is hugely beneficial for people with Down syndrome. We started teaching him sign language um, from the very beginning. And um, to this day, he, he can speak well, but he still often will speak with sign language because it was so ingrained in him at such a young age. And yes, as far as um, occupational therapy, uh, there, there are muscle tone and coordination issues and uh, as well for physical therapy um, and gross motor. Issues. Okay. Does Josiah know he has Down syndrome? And if the answer to that is yes, how does he understand it? You know, I don't know if he really does understand it. We definitely don't keep it a secret. We talk about it. We have, we celebrate World Down Syndrome Day with his friends. We go to the, the Buddy Walk annually, which is um, a fundraiser for um, our Down syndrome support organization. So it's definitely talked about in our house and uh, celebrated even at his school. 
But I, I don't know that he would be able to say what it was or any of that quite yet. I see. Now, I know you have two children that came after Josiah. How did you introduce them to the idea that their brother wasn't going to be the same as other people they might meet? Or did you even bother to do that? Um, I don't think we ever felt we had to take a specific moment to sit them down and have that conversation necessarily because it's just a part of our daily life. And again, uh, all those activities that we take part in that are about Down syndrome, um, my my now six-year-old, almost seven-year-old, I think it was just a couple of years ago when we were going to the buddy walk and he was asking, what do we, what's the, what do, why do we go to the buddy walk? What is this about? And so it's those questions like that, that come up that we have the opportunity to explain, well, you know, your brother was born with down syndrome and this is what it means. And, you know, he's just like everyone else, but it takes him a little bit longer to learn things. It's, you know, we've had issues with behavior from time to time that we have to explain it just takes him a little bit longer to learn. He's going to get it. He, he like he does with everything, but it's going to take a little bit longer. I see. So I started off by talking about a lot anomalies or abnormalities. Do you agree that God doesn't make mistakes and these are abnormalities from what we consider normal, but that if Psalm 139 is true, Josiah is not an accident in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could shout it from the mountaintops if I could, that God does not make mistakes. God, he knew what he was doing when he created Josiah. He knew just the person our family needed. He knew the plans that he had for Josiah's life. And we are privileged to walk beside him and find his gifts and to hone those gifts and to see what the Lord will do with his life, just like all of our children. So in that regard, he's no different than what any parent would feel for any child. It's just that, I mean, I, I think it's funny when people say, well, look at the drain on the resources. I mean, yes, it's nice that the state of California helps you out, but taxpayers are paying for it as though as though there aren't greater issues that happen with people who are rebellious, who, who, do, who defy authority. It's like if there was a test for the things that society really has a bane against, you know, would we start disqualifying everybody? And I'm yeah. wondering if in your experience, there are people who give you sort of pitiful looks like, oh, poor you, look what you have to deal with. What's that like when that's the look you get? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And certainly we do have those people. Mostly it's people I think that don't know someone with Down syndrome, that don't know our life personally, that don't know our son personally. And I love opportunities to enlighten them (laughs) and to explain that the joys and um, the privilege it is to have him far outweigh any um, challenges that we've experienced thus far. We've met people that we would have never met before. We've met, you know, other families. We've had experiences that we would not have had before. Um, We've had uh, just personal growth in our walk of faith with the Lord that had been enriched. The, the, illustration, and, and this is interesting, actually, it's reminding me, um, before I had children at all, 
I remember hearing someone speak at our church. I think his name was Norm Wakefield. And he had a daughter with Down syndrome. And he talked about the, the beautiful illustration that having a child with special needs is in our relationship to the father. The father doesn't love us for our perfection or for what we can give him or, uh, you know, how well we measure up to the standard of perfection. It's not why he loves us. He loves us because we are his children. He's chosen to love us. He delights in us. And I remember that hearing that speech, like I said before, I had children before I knew it. I was going to have a child with special needs. It stuck with me. And um, it's it's been a beautiful picture of the love of the father unconditionally for his children. You know, I have a granddaughter who has a genetic disorder, cystic fibrosis, which isn't the same kind of situation as Josiah have. And she's now 12 years old. And I remember asking her once, did people treat her differently because of it? And, you know, were people mean? And her response was, no, actually, people are so nice. And she so did not have a chip on her shoulder because of this. And she sort of had this view that said, it's not like, look at, oh, poor me, look what I have to deal with. She said she got a chance to see how how great people could be. And it sounds a lot like what you're saying is that you get to see a side of humanity that you might not see otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. There will always be those people who will have their negativity about it that will be unkind to him and to us. Um, but I would say that's in the minority. Thankfully, we've been really, really blessed uh, in our situation. And yeah, I, I just, like I said, I take every opportunity I can when that arises to just be honest. And I think a lot of the fear for new parents or, or parents who you know are even worried about having children in the future is that it's the medical community <laughs> that needs to catch up with the current information. They, they love to share the worst case scenario, their information is often completely outdated, uh, saying they won't walk, they won't talk, and all these things that are just not true. There's no way we can have predictions like this when children are still in the womb. And, and yet parents are making decisions, permanent life-altering decisions based on this outdated information. So would you say with all that you've learned that there's no reason to suppose that Josiah won't have a meaningful life, not just as a child, but as an adult. Absolutely. Yeah, we're excited to see what he's going to do. He's already making his mark and making his impact in his community and in his school and in his church. And we are just very excited to see what the Lord has planned for his adult life as well. More and more, you see various organizations and businesses that will actually hire people with Down syndrome. And one of the hardware stores locally years ago, Down syndrome employees would be the greeters. And they were so helpful. You'd ask a question, and not only would they say it's on this aisle or that, they would walk with you and they, they would practically be your friend while you were in the store. And I thought that was really a good way for people not to be fearful of other people who are different. Yes. And I think that is a hugely wonderful thing that we see a little bit more in our modern day. It used to be pretty common practice to institutionalize people with Down syndrome. And 
um, the community didn't get to see them and they didn't know. It was sort of this mysterious condition that people were really scared of. And getting to know someone with Down syndrome, you realize they have amazing skills. They have amazing talents. They have gifts of their own to contribute and they make excellent employees. They have great work ethic generally speaking, and in my experience, those of who I've met and, and whatnot, um, they're, they're doing everything. I, I know people with Down syndrome who are models and who are movie stars and who are um, grocery checkers and uh, office workers, you name it. They are being more and more accepted these days uh, in the workplace, which is encouraging to see. Right. There was a recent movie, which I loved so much. I saw it and then I took my husband to go see it and I've watched it again called Peanut Butter Falcon that has yes. the star, <laughs> a Down syndrome person. And I don't know, it was hard to say, is he acting? Is he not acting? Because he certainly wasn't probably exactly like the character, but it was such a feel good movie yes. because oh, the I love it. came out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We, we, all just raved about that one too. And we've even read some stories about the relationship of the main characters off screen, the impact that that main character with Down syndrome had on his co-stars uh, was pretty meaningful and impactful too. So it, yeah, two thumbs up. That was a great movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So has it been any different with Josiah than with your other children in communicating the ideas of the faith and his need to receive the Lord Jesus? We talk about that quite a bit. He attends Sunday school just like his siblings did, and we have family devotionals every day. And, um, you know, when the communion plate comes around, we have that conversation. He has sat through the catechism classes, you know, he, he participates right alongside his peers and if you ask him if he loves Jesus, he'll get a very enthusiastic yes. He can tell you who died on the cross for his sins. He can tell you what the, the bread and the wine are for. Those basics of the faith, he just has accepted with joy. That's great. Before we go, because I, 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 we're getting to the end of our time, how important was it that not only you and your husband, but your extended family was supportive and how were they supportive in helping you travel this journey? Well, they have been tremendous. My extended family has, of course, welcomed him with open arms from uh, from the very beginning. Um, I remember, and this will probably make me cry a little bit, but <laughs> I remember. Don't worry about the emotion. It's genuine. And um, I actually appreciate the fact that after all this time, you're still, you know, overtaken with gratitude. So yeah, it just, it does hit every once in a while. And you think, yeah, you're, you're over that, that, but then you, you have a memory and it comes back. But yeah, I remember um, calling my parents after we had gotten the first, I think maybe it was just the first night after he was born. And we were calling my parents to let them know what the doctor suspected. And I said, talking to my mom and I said, I have some bad news. They think Josiah might have Down syndrome. And she said, oh, honey, that's not bad news. That's just not what you expected. Mm -hmm. And God often gives us things we don't expect, but they're for our good. And we love Josiah already. And God has great things planned for him. 
So they have walked beside us and just cheered him on. They, you know, they, they attend events with us. They take care of him when we need a little break. They, they cheer him on with his successes every step of the way. So um, he has a whole cheering section behind us, <laughs> behind him. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's really important. And, and this is where the, I mean, obviously knowing the Lord Jesus and being saved from your sins is the ultimate benefit. But in terms of understanding the sovereignty of God, um, I think your mom said it really well. You know, we pray for our daily bread and sometimes it doesn't come in the shape or the form or the quantity that we want it. But if we believe God will supply our daily bread, then we accept and we receive what we're given and realize that according to scripture, it's for our good and his glory. And I think it's important to hear stories like yours, Brittany, because there may be people who hear this, um, who need to hear that they don't have to do this thing that ends a person's life, that God will enrich their life by what he's given them. Absolutely. And to add to that, um, there is actually a waiting list in the United States for families who would like to adopt children with Down syndrome. There's literally never an unloved or unwanted child with Down syndrome born in this country. So explain that. What I mean, wow. What are you talking about that there are people who are ready to adopt Down syndrome children? Tell, tell us about that. Well, it's, it's a statistic I've read a number of times that there is literally a waiting list of adoptive parents who have said they will happily, joyfully take a child with Down syndrome to raise um, if a parent, you know, doesn't think they can do that. Uh, there's, there's always an alternative to abortion, and there's always someone who will love that child. And is this something that's well known, for example, to obstetricians and gynecologists that they can share this information? How do people find out about this network? Um, well, they're, I don't know how well-informed doctors and nurses are of that. Speaking to local pregnancy centers is a great way to go. There is an actual Down syndrome adoption network that people could look up and find information all about that online. You can get on their registry. Internationally, there is an organization called Reese's Rainbow, that specializes in, in finding children with Down syndrome and other special needs in um, other countries that are just kind of wasting away in orphanages and uh, parents can go and, and find these children on the registry and, and inquire about how they can adopt. So do you find that parents like yourself are willing to talk to other parents, not so much that you're going to take their child or whatever, but to encourage them through? Did you have a network of people who had experienced it that you could call up and say, am I, am I you know, being too worried about this or help me figure out what's going on? Is, is that a resource that's available? Absolutely. That's um, something that we're a part of uh, locally. There's a, uh, it's called the brighter side of down syndrome. That's our local group uh, support group. And they have care packages for new parents. They have support group meetings. They have all sort of fun events that parents can um, get together and children can do together. And there are organizations like this in uh, you know, cities across America, you can find to be a part of and, they, that has just been a huge, tremendous blessing locally, like even more locally than uh, the Down syndrome group. 
uh, I have a group of moms that gets together regularly and we have kids all different ages, all different levels of um, development. And we just share stories and we encourage one another. We cheer each other on in the victories and we hug each other through the challenges. Uh, the support is, is phenomenal and it's really important. I, I think right after Josiah was born, I did get a number of people saying, oh, you need to contact this group or you need to talk to this friend. And I remember feeling a little overwhelmed in the beginning and thinking, I don't need new friends. Okay. I've got, I've got plenty of great friends and I just want my life to go back to normal. And so it took me a little while to reach out to people. But when I did, I thought, why did I wait so long? This is just, just the support that I needed. It's, it's really important, I think, to have someone to reach out to when you have questions. Sure. So I, I, and I've offered that to my, um, OBGYN as well. Please, if you have someone in your office that has been given a prenatal diagnosis, please send them my way because I, I just want to be honest and um, be able to share the truth with these families. So I liked what you said, honest, because nothing of what you said indicates that this has been a piece of cake and you know what? This is easier than I thought it would ever be. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's not. But, you know, that's true in motherhood in general. Um, if you have a baby with colic, it's not easy. If you have a baby that doesn't sleep, it's not easy. Before we go, let me just ask you one final question. How typical is it for parents to feel guilty when they discover their child has Downs? Oh, I suppose that there's a little bit of that for everyone. You, of course, you wonder if you could have done something differently or um, even after the, they're born, you wonder, are you doing enough? Are you giving them all that you can give them? Is there uh, some therapy or experience you're, you know, you're missing out there and you do a ton of research, but um, I think just remembering that God has a plan and that God will give you the tools you need to guide you through this experience. <laughs> the help is out there. The, his help is out there. His comfort is there. His encouragement is there. Well, good. Well, thanks a lot. Give Josiah and the other three a hug for me. And I, um, I hope that you've encouraged people to, even if it's not their particular situation, no doubt they're going to run into someone who has this situation and to just realize that with a simple search engine search, you can be connected with people who are able to help you. Yes. And thank you so much for having me on. This was um, just a pleasure. And I do hope that it's helpful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Well, listeners, thanks for joining me again. Uh, if you have a question about this topic or a topic you would like us to explore, you can reach me at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.